The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. As always, we've got a nice batch of questions from all you listeners out there. And we're going to do our best to answer uh, quite a handful of them today. We'll, we've got a, a reasonable time limit today. It won't be one of those marathon shows today, but uh, we've got about a little over an hour to, to answer as many as we can get to. So I'll invite Jim on so we can dive in sooner than later, uh, tackle anything he wants to bring up, and then uh, I'm sure we're going to do a Social Security question to start with. But I'll let him decide, since he's the is keeper that, of the questions. Was the keeper of the questions, that's that is you. it. Was yeah. that my uh, handoff? Were you that's passing it. the baton to Yeah, to basically, me? just so we can All right. get, get well, into the ha- questions. Happy uh, Saturday to everyone who listens to this the day it drops. Hope your weekend is going well. Chris and I are recording this Friday morning. It feels like October today. It's, it's quite nice. I, like I love it. it. Yeah. It's it's wicked, folks. Um, crisp and cool. I, I I almost want to break out a flavored coffee. I even bought. Did you go to? Did you do Thursday last week? Uh, yesterday at Starbucks? No, I'm not as much of a Starbuckian as you. No, because the Thursday instead of Thursday is if you order a fall flavored coffee uh, afternoon on Thursdays, you get one free for the entire month of September. Hmm. So I got a uh, pumpkin spice latte yesterday. And then I got the, cause yesterday was cool and rainy as well, folks. And I also got some apple crisp oatmeal thing. Um, your daughter, Mayanna, uh, highly recommended it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, apparently made out of oatmeal milk, which is a unique taste. And at first I didn't like it, but by time, because I, I ordered a venti, hey, it was free, right? Mm-hmm. So by time I got to the bottom of the venti cup, it was tasting a lot better. Mm. But um, oatmeal milk is, it's like drinking a liquid oatmeal cookie. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting flavor. <laughs> but anyways, folks, for those who don't know, and you want to save a little bit of cash, especially those of you in retirement, pinching your pennies, 
on Thursdays throughout the entire month of September. Go to a Starbucks. You're going to go afternoon. So anytime between 12 and 7 or whatever time your Starbucks closes. Order one fall coffee, get one free. Hmm. Well, I'll keep that in mind, although I don't do a lot of Starbucks in the afternoon. But you never know. Oh, if you get one free, it's worth it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Trust me. I, I left the house in the rain and drove to a Starbucks to get my free coffee yesterday. <laughs> Well, you are a sucker for a deal. I, I, I am. And, and you know me with Starbucks. It's just, yeah. just that's it. I should have bought stock in that company a long time ago. Okay, anyways, That was folks, not to we, be interpreted as investment advice, everyone. No, yes, please. If, if there's a compliance person or a regulator listening, that was not a recommendation to run out and buy Starbucks. Uh, unless you're going to buy one of their coffees on Thursdays afternoon, then yes, that was a blatant recommendation. Okay, so we are going to get into Social Security and Irma. Two Social Security, two so, wow, two Social Security questions, Chris, and one Irma question, as we've kind of started doing over the past few weeks. Then we'll jump into a bunch of questions. We got a lot of good questions in, tied to that EDU series that we're doing, um, and we had another gentleman write us an email pleading to keep that series going because he heard that we're ending it after one more week. Hmm. So I don't know, maybe I'll keep it going for a little while longer. But apparently, I mean, he, he said he's really learning a lot and enjoying hearing what other people are doing. Hmm. So nice. um, and then our critiquing pro and con of people's approach. <laughs> so anyways, if people like it, we'll, we'll keep doing it. Um, plus someone hasn't done his Ed Slot test yet anyways. <laughs> so I got another nasty gram today, so I'm going to have to get that done real soon. Mostly because we have our fall training in another four weeks. Mm -hmm. So I might as well wrap up the springtime. Um, but anyways, we'll figure out what we'll do for the EDU, but apparently that series is catching on, but we've gotten a few questions in, um, turning back towards annuities as well, as we'll see. I think I'll do an annuity question. Uh, as people work on funding their minimum dignity for it, it's, it's fascinating how people are approaching things. Mm -hmm. So we kind of stumbled onto a pretty good topic there. Okay. But for now, what we're going to do is your Social Security question. Or do you want the IRMA first or Social Security? You, you choose. Mm. Well, we always start with Social Security. So let's do one of those. All right. I don't want to this, break with tradition. You don't want to break with tradition. Okay. Um, oh, he gives a hint. Mm -hmm. So, uh, ba -ba 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 -ba, where's the beginning? His subject has to be the longest subject I've ever seen. So I'm going to read it, the subject of his email. Social Security live response to something Chris said and most others also said from last week's taping on your Social Security question. That That's was all the on the subject of line? his email. Wow. I didn't realize you could put that much in there. <laughs> I didn't know you could put that much either. Amazing. So I, I elevated this, folks, to today, even though it was a brandy new email, because, Chris, he says something that either Social Security changed. You'll see where I'm going with this in a second, Chris. Social Security changed the law and didn't tell you or I. Mm-hmm. Or someone at Social Security doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Mm. So again, his subject, it'll make sense, his subject, Social Security live response to something Chris said and most others also say 
on last week's taping on Social Security. His hint, mm-hmm. I'm from a state. Well, that, that, I paused. I shouldn't have. I should have kept going. <laughs> um, I'm from a state. I, I have to pause because he's got so many parentheses here. Okay, I'm from a state. I'm not going to read what's in the parentheses. I see what he's doing. This is to trick you. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm supposed to ignore what's in the parentheses. Okay. I'm from a state that is the only state in the country to have opened an entire state park system at one time covering 19,000 acres. This this is an obscure hint. If there's that, anybody listening to this yeah, who a... actually knows that answer, I'm not even going to let you try to guess the answer, but that's yeah. an obscure. You probably have to be from this state. So I'll narrow it down to you, Chris. It was one of the Confederate States of America. And so they, that narrows it they down created an 50- entire state park system simultaneously. Yes, of- not during the Civil War. It no. was done in 1936. But I'm trying to narrow your mm. choice from 50 states down to what? Were there 11 or 13 Confederate States? I forget. Mm. How about Georgia? No, you can head Southern state. But this one is uh, Virginia. Uh, okay, that, that is an obscure is, hint. That, that, that's yeah. I mean, he's won two awards so far. The longest subject so, in yeah. email, and the most ever. obscure hint, and the most obscure hint on a state. So this guy's two for two, well, okay. three for three because we're answering his question too. All right, this one, Chris. All jokes aside, pay attention to what this guy claims happens. Okay. Many. Oh, wait a minute. Excuse me. In response to a recent question on spousal benefits, Chris noted that it is, the the spousal benefit, Chris, Chris noted that it is 50% of the higher earner based at the time of full retirement age primary insurance amount and not past that date. For example, he says, if you work until 70, you make more, <clears throat> and it impacts survivor benefits. Many blog posts repeated that exact process. Mm-hmm. However, tonight, after a day of calling and being cut off by Social Security represented by Social Security, a Social Security representative gave me the calculation for my full retirement age primary insurance amount. Mm-hmm which is at 66 and four months. And when I explained why I needed that number, Anne said said that the spousal, I think he missed a word here. And when I explained why I needed that number, the representative said that the spousal benefit is now based on the higher earner on the date higher earner's benefit on the date the higher earner applies. I gave the specific example of being at age 70, and she said it would be half of the age 70 amount. In other words, half of that higher amount at age 70. She was emphatic. Emphatic, did I get that? Did I nail Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. All right, look at that. She was emphatic Mm. 
Can someone from your staff call social? I don't expect you to call social security. Certainly not on this podcast. We only have an hour. Can someone from your staff call social security and ask the same question? Because this interpretation would be news to many, many folks. Oh, many, many, many folks. <laughs> Let me just summarize real quick because his email was missing punctuation and words. I think what he's saying, Chris, is as everybody should know the spousal benefit, not survivor benefit. Right. The spousal benefit. In other words, the person's still alive. The spousal benefit is half of the wage earners, if you will, the, the person whose wages you're going to to get your spousal benefit on, half of their primary insurance amount, mm-hmm. not half of their age 70 benefit if they delay till age 70 to get a higher benefit. Right. But this guy is saying, no, this Social Security rep was em- em- emphatic. Mm-hmm. It's a hard word. This person was was adamant, much easier word, was adamant that someone would get half of the age 70 benefit. Mm-hmm. That would be news to me. <laughs> what says you? That's wrong. I'll just say it bluntly like that. And this is an example of a time where you would hope and think that going straight to the horse's mouth, you're talking directly to the Social Security Administration's rep, that you would think you would get accurate information, and this is not accurate. I'm confident that it is still the same rule, because if this rule were to have changed, first of all, it would require not just an action by Social Security Administration. It would have it would be Congress actually changing the way Social Security works. They're in control of these rules. Social Security just uh, deploys the rules or or enforces the rules, if you way if you were. They don't have the interpretation leeway for a fundamental change like this to have happened. If this were to happen. It would be all over within the financial planning community, and it would have not have snuck by us or others. Uh, uh, so it, it is not necessarily news to people. If this is actually, unfortunately, a common event for people to get incorrect information directly from Social Security, which is why I always urge people to do their own research and, and, and figure out what they want to do within the rules and understand the rules independently and then when you go to Social Security to claim a certain benefit or ask a question or something, if if what they tell you is contrary to your own research, do not automatically think that you're wrong and they're correct. Um, in this case, the rep was confused at, at minimum or just completely doesn't know the rule. My guess is it was a confusion that uh, the one thing that you, I guess, giving them the benefit of the doubt where they might have come to this conclusion if you continue to work until age 70 and you have earnings being added to your earnings record and those earnings do in fact increase your PIA through a recalculation, those additional earnings that you have at 62, 68, 70, 90 years old, there's no limit on when they add more earnings years to your earnings record. It's unlikely that someone 90 years old will be adding an earnings year to their record that would affect their Social Security. But if it did, it is affecting the PIA. And that PIA going up because of that would also benefit any spousal claimant 
on that record because the actual PIA is being increased. Delaying past your full retirement age and earning delayed retirement credits is not increasing your PIA. It is increasing your benefit you are being paid, but the delayed retirement credits are not crediting and increasing the PIA itself. And so um, I don't know where they came to the, the confusion here, but as a emphatic or as they were, uh, they were emphatically wrong. Um, unfortunately, it, this, it would be lovely because you could get kind of a double bonus uh, by delaying to 70, for instance, or 68 or some other age past your full retirement age, increasing your own benefit and increasing the spousal benefit. That's not how it works, though. And there's a reason why not only our podcast and blog and website, and, and, but all the other reputable places you might go for this information all are consistent in this is that it is not what the phone rep told you, unfortunately. Okay, I, I, I agree totally. So um, we, we, we ran into this, not this, I'm just going down memory lane now. Way back, folks, when Chris and I did this as a radio show out of Greeley, Colorado, mm-hmm. that's 10, 12 years ago now, I remember people telling us about going to the Greeley office, remember, Mm -hmm. and getting blatantly wrong advice Mm -hmm. and having to go back after talking to us, mainly you, on the show and getting bad advice corrected. Mm -hmm. And and I agree, this is just patently wrong advice. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, could you imagine if they ever passed this? They would have to redo. What about everyone who's under the old rule? Mm -hmm. They would have to up them up. Well, plus this would would make Social Security even more underfunded than it currently is. So uh, A, it hasn't happened. And B, I would predict it's very unlikely to happen uh, in in the future. but more broadly, and not to pick on the Greeley Social Security Office, this is a nationwide issue. This isn't localized by any means. But just like every office we've ever run into, there's a chance of getting wrong information. And sometimes you've got to take their, you know, a copy of their own rule book into them to show them that they are incorrect. Now, most of the time, if you elevate your, your concern that you're getting accurate information enough. You ask for a technical expert and you have someone review it. Or in a couple of cases, I've had people unfortunately have to go to their congressperson and have their congressperson open up an inquiry at Social Security to finally get something corrected. That's rare, but that's kind of the chain of, of command. You wouldn't want to start there. That's That's abusing, um, I think, the time of your congressperson. So I wouldn't go there first with a question because most of the time, by the time something gets elevated to the technical expert or manager in the office, they will give you the correct answer and it'll get fixed. But, um, you know, sometimes it's just a brick wall after brick wall. And uh, that would ultimately be where um, you, you you'll, their connection will get you the right answer at that point. So if you have run into a never-ending um, chain of of these brick walls and you are and you know you are correct, um, that's you know where to go ultimately is is call your congressperson's uh, office and 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 explain the situation and have them connect with their liaison at Social Security to get an answer for you. But this is something that happens. It's a very complicated system. 
Uh, there, it is, I would argue, somewhat underfunded as far as um, the technology that they have and the training they have and, and that sort of thing. It's a massive system that actually operates on a very, very thin margin of overhead. Social Security, believe it or not, you might agree or disagree with some of the rules of Social Security as far as being you know, fair, unfair, paying out too much, paying out too little. So there's the, the actual Social Security uh, law itself you might have an issue with, but the administration of it as far as a cost, you know, the cost to administer it is a very, very low number for, for this big institution and this, you know, as many dollars as flow through here. Um, and I think there's room maybe to improve training, improve staffing, improve technology with some, uh, you know, because it, it, we all, you know, all of us either now who are interacting with Social Security because we're of claiming age or those of us who will be, will all benefit as a population by having that, you know, having them give you more accurate answers more regularly, having uh, lower hold times, uh, better, you know, processing, quicker processing, all that kind of stuff. And and so, um, you know, I personally am in favor of uh, funding the system as far as the administration part of it a little bit better than we do today. But in the meantime, you're going to have to watch out for yourselves. You're going to have to. There's luckily now uh, plenty of resources out there that you can confirm your your assumptions about Social Security or or um, find out you're wrong <laughs> before you even go in there, before you call them on the phone. And I'd encourage people to the best of their ability to to kind of do their own research first uh, so that when you do go there, uh, you know what to expect, and then you're kind of on alert if they're giving you information that seems to be wrong. Yeah, and I I just want to add a little on this story that happened to our number one fan, uh, otherwise known as my mom, uh, many, many years ago when her second husband passed away in 2005. And you probably remember this story, Chris. And the point is that I'm trying to get at is Social Security is probably one of the few government programs I actually admire and like. And I think it does a great job. And I think it's underappreciated in the financial planning world. Mm -hmm. But when viewed in the context of how Chris and I apply it to minimum dignity floor, it's a wonderful, wonderful strategy. And it's inflation adjusted. It's, it's, It's great. But... It is run by humans, and humans are, are not infallible. We will make mistakes. Chris makes mistakes constantly on this podcast. Listeners make mistakes constantly when they point out Chris's mistake and they spell his name wrong. They spell it J-I-M instead of C-H-R-I-S. But we don't hold it against our listeners. The point is humans will not get everything right. And my mom married another gentleman Uh, When my parents divorced, and she married him years and years and years after the divorce, and they were married for four years when he unexpectedly passed away, and he earned significantly more money than my mom. And I remember I had been out visiting, and he passed away unexpectedly with me home. And it was just weird timing. I go home to visit, and my mom's husband passes away. And I remember when I was home, uh, mom had gone out with um, a lot of his friends and they were just reminiscing. And she came home that evening and and she told me that she was a little concerned. I says, what are you concerned about? She says, well, 
we weren't married for 10 years and I'm not going to get uh, his higher social security benefit. I'm going to have to keep just mine and it's so much lower. I says, no, mom, the, the 10 year rule is for divorce. You had to be married at least nine months and you were married for nine months. You were married for four years. And she says, oh, no, that's not what, and I'll call him George. He's, he, too, has since passed away. But at the time, it was an attorney we'll call George. She says, well, that's not what George said. And I says, my, George is an attorney. He doesn't do what I do. I tell you, it's 10 years for divorce, nine months for, for marriage. She still didn't believe me, so I actually logged on to her computer, went to Social Security's website, Chris, found the information, printed it out, and had to hand it to her to read. She took it, folded it, and put it in her purse. I says, what are you doing? She says, oh, I'm going to show this to George, because she felt so much more relieved. Later on, I was back in Colorado. She went to the Social Security office to file a report that her second husband had passed, and to say, hey, you know, I, I want to receive his benefit, his survivor benefit. Mm-hmm. And the woman there told her, oh, you weren't married for 10 years. Oh, my gosh. You're not, you're not going to get his Social Security. You only get yours. So random and George and the Social Security people just happen to both have the same mistake in their mind. Exactly. And I can understand George and I can even understand the social security person if they were new. I don't know how long they were working there. And that's the issue. But my mom was saying to her, no, no, she didn't know about asking for the technical expert or anything like that. I didn't get into all that. And she was ready to leave my mom when she remembered she still had that information. And she went into her purse, she took out what I had printed for her, and she handed it to the, the person. And as my mom told me the story, she said, and I told her I got this from my son, a financial planner. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that carried a lot of weight. Ooh, he's a financial planner. But it was from Social Security's own website. The woman behind the counter took the paperwork, said to my mom, I'll be right back, and walked into the back room. And my mom said about five minutes later, she and another woman walked out, most likely the technical expert, and apologized to my mom, told her that she is entitled to the higher benefit and will receive that. My point is, what if my mom didn't know that? What if I was still a cop and not a financial planner? George was a very, very successful, very wealthy attorney. Of course, what he says has to be right, right? He's an attorney. I might have been, oh, yeah, if that's what George says, man, that stinks. Nobody would have known, and maybe mom would have received lower benefits. Hopefully, Social Security would have picked up on the error, but what if it didn't once it got into the system? So it doesn't surprise me what this gentleman wrote, and that person, even though they were adamant about it, they still are wrong. Okay. Let's get to an Irma question. We're going to mix this up. Dear Jim and Chris, absolutely love the show and think you remain the number one best retirement podcast available. Mm. Is this from my mom? (laughs) Number one? (laughs) Nope. This is from a gentleman named, we'll call him George. He too is from Virginia. Amazing. Oh. Imagine that. 
he didn't give a very difficult hint, but he is from Virginia. He put it at the bottom of his email. I am a longtime listener and know you have discussed filing SSA 44 to reduce your IRMA surcharges. For anybody who's new, IRMA is income-related monthly adjusted amount. It's essentially the surcharge they will impose on your Medicare premiums based on wages you earned two years earlier. And that's about as deep as I want to get in. But that's what IRMA means. It's the surcharge. SSA 44 is Social Security Administration Form 44, SSA 44, which is the form you file to tell Social Security, hey, I had a life-altering event, and even though my income was higher, it's not going to be, please don't impose a surcharge on my Medicare. That's a really dumbed-down definition of that form, but in case someone is brand new and has no idea what I just said and what this listener wrote, that's it. Okay. What I don't believe you have discussed is whether you can, or even if you need to, file this form, SSA 44, twice because of the two-year look back. For example, if you leave the workforce in 2021 and start your Social Security in 2022, can you file SSA 44 in 2022 and again in 2023? Or can you only appeal for this reduction for the first year you begin Social Security? So uh, I guess he asked two questions. Can you um, and do you need to? The can you is you can file SSA 44 as many times as you have a life-changing event that creates a reduction in income. And so there's no limit. You could have and, and life-changing events, just real quickly, there's uh, marriage, divorce, death of a spouse, work stoppage, work reduction. Uh, those are, they actually combine those almost as one, one rule, but loss of income producing property, loss of pension income, and an employer settlement payment. Those are listed specifically as the life-changing events that will cause them to possibly reconsider your IRMA surcharge. And so you could imagine you could have multiple of those in your life that, so there's no limit. They don't put an arbitrary limit on how many SSA 44s you can claim. It's if, if you have a, a qualifying event and the income has reduced um, since that qualifying event, the SSA 44 would work. Now, do you have to in his scenario? And this is where things are a little murky, uh, in my opinion, because I've had some people successfully file a single SSA 44. For instance, in his example, I think he said he um, retired in 21 and claimed Social Security in 22. Is that what it, is that what? The dates that is correct. Okay. Yes. So to, to continue his example, uh, retired in 21. So in 2022, his income is much lower. And depending on when during 2021 he retired, it, it may very well have been lower. Like if you retired halfway through the year or something like that. But let's assume he worked to the end of 2021. Uh, they're then going to, for 2022, when he claims his, his uh, Medicare, uh, going to use his 2020 tax return to determine his IRMA, where SSA 44 comes in is saying, hey, 
please don't apply that because I retired. I had a work reduction or stoppage uh, that we'll call retirement. And my income is much lower now. So instead of using my income from two years ago, please use my current estimate for income. And then confirm it once I file my tax return. That's kind of essentially what you're doing. You ask them to believe you or trust you. And then they will confirm it. And if you were wrong, um, um, they will adjust from there. But uh, you can imagine the timing of things. He's got an issue in 22 and 2023 because he worked through 2021 in this example. Some people have successfully filed a single SSA 44 and had it cover both of those years until he could make it to 2024 which then will be based on his income from 2022 when he's already fully retired and now he's kind of gotten past the problem, if you will. So he doesn't have to file it anymore after that. Um, and some people will get a notice for their 20, in his example, his 2023 Medicare, and they're trying to apply IRMA to it, even though he previously filed an SSA 44 telling him about his retirement I don't see any rhyme or reason yet as to why some people are able to successfully get it done with a single filing and it and it stays in the system and they don't for you know they just apply it next year automatically and other people have to file it again. So the good news is you can file it as many times as need be. So if you successfully get Irma a reduction due to a life-changing event in kind of the first year after retirement, but then they try to zing you with the Irma the year after that um, because of this ten-year or this two-year delay here, um, or the two-year look back that can effectively haunt you for those two years after retirement. Uh, just file it again, when, and you'll know it in the late fall, uh, early winter, I guess you, one might call it. So usually at the tail end of November, you're going to get your notification of what your Medicare premiums are going to be for the upcoming year. And they'll indicate in there if they're applying IRMA. And if they try to stick you with IRMA, even after you've filed SSA 44, and it's that's not correct, you just file it again, uh, as you did the, the year prior. Um, so the, the need to is a more confusing, uh, in my opinion, you shouldn't need to have, you know, shouldn't have to be forced to do it twice. When you're describing something like retirement, it should be assumed that you want it to apply to, to both of the years post-retirement automatically. But um, things have been hit or miss on that. I've, I can't put a percentage on it, but I know people in both categories, some that have it worked with one and others had to do it twice. Okay, that was that was. I know that was for me, but I was <laughs> muted, and, yeah, and I okay. use a the little mouse pad thing, and I had papers on my uh, computer. And no problem. So it took me a while to get my little finger to undo the mute button. All righty, I think that was a fair enough answer. We can progress to the last social security question. Mm -hmm. This one is a fairly straightforward one, at least I think. I'm not mm -hmm. quite sure what you will think. Um. If I can find it, there we go. All righty. See if they give a hint. Ah, yes, she does give a hint. Dear Jim and Chris, thank you for your informative show. I enjoy the deep dives. Here's your hint, Chris. I'm from the state that has hosted both the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. 
and will host it again in 2028. I think that's, I think that's got to be California because Lake Tahoe and Los Angeles. In the past, they've done both. I'm not sure any other states done both. So. I believe you are correct. She did not give an answer, and I didn't Google it, so oh. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I think that's got to be correct. But I was just looking through her email real quickly. <laughs> Usually, the people put the answer at the bottom mm-hmm. to make my life easier. Um, but there's no answer here, but I think you're right. I think it is California that they hosted both mm-hmm. because I know California isn't L- Yeah. LA is doing the Olympics again in 2028. Mm-hmm. So um, it's gotta be California. It's yeah. gotta be California. Okay. My mom recently passed away. And for that listener, you do have our sympathies. She and my stepfather were registered domestic partners. When I looked on the Social Security website, there's some language around same-sex couple eligibility for benefits, but my mom and her partner are heterosexual and not same-sex partners. Mm -hmm. Is my stepfather eligible for survivor benefits if they are not a same-sex couple? When I called Social Security, they didn't know. They were unsure. How can you call? Mm. So uh, this is me pausing here for station identification. How the hell can you call Social Security and they tell you, well, Well, I I can understand the person saying, I don't know, but then they should have immediately followed up with, I will run this up, you know, up the flagpole, up the chain of command to the technical experts and get you an answer and we'll get back to you. That's how, uh, um, you know, good customer service would work. I don't know if they were told that or not, but I'm I'm not shocked that this one's a little, this one again is kind of a confusing area of social security. I won't even claim to have known to know all the nuances of this, but um, yeah. Well, look, so before you start giving your then? answer, let me just do one mm-hmm. more sentence. That's yeah. and it ends. My mom's benefit was around twenty four hundred. However, my stepfather is a retired law enforcement officer and only gets 500 a month with offsets. Um, one thing I do want to point out, if he is retired law enforcement, he most likely has a pension, mm-hmm. and he probably did not pay into Social Security. So you might want to, as you answer this question, mention GPO might reduce mm-hmm. quite a bit of any benefit he may get. Okay, For you're sure. up. So... Um... Let's first tackle this rule, this whole thing about domestic partnerships. It is possible to qualify for spousal and survivorship benefits uh, as a married couple, even though you were only you only had a what's in some states called a civil union, or in other states like like uh, California has re- uh, registered domestic partnerships has for a long time. And Social Security, after the um, uh, banning of marriage for same-sex couples was ruled unconstitutional, there was a kind of this period where there were still state laws on the books barring marriage uh, for same-sex couples, but um, Social Security started to recognize these domestic partnerships and civil unions for purposes of Social Security benefits uh, during this period, and they came up with these rules. And so the reason why she's only running into descriptions of this attached to same-sex couples, at least my understanding, is that these rules were put in place to recognize these as the equivalent of marriage, 
for people who were previously legally barred from marrying when they, in fact, would have otherwise. Uh, They were forced to do one of these civil unions or domestic partnerships because it wasn't legal for them to marry. So they came up with this rule to try to reduce the unfairness of the situation as as time progressed um, and granted them essentially spousal rights under the Social Security benefits uh, when in fact they only had, uh, only had when they were forced into these registered domestic partnerships or civil unions instead. At face value, it seems like, oh, gee, a same-sex couple's getting more, you know, more benefits than a heterosexual couple, in this case, you know, a registered domestic partnership. Uh, but it isn't, you know, meant to be that. It's meant to remedy the fact that the same-sex couple couldn't have married at a point in time. Now they can, but couldn't back, you know, back when they uh, formed the domestic partnership a lot of times. So, um I don't think that I have some good news, and then I think it'll maybe not even matter in this particular case, but I'm sure there's others out there that might have run into this. Um, It is possible as a heterosexual couple to form, uh, enter into one of these registered domestic partnerships. Um, In California, that's been around for quite some time now. And there's a variety of reasons why you you might want to do that that are state-specific. I do not think that they're going to qualify um, for, that he's going to qualify for spousal survivor benefits in this case because her mother has passed away because they weren't married, but they had the ability to be married. It was a choice not to get married. And that's, I think, how Social Security is going to look at it, that you could have gotten married, but you chose not to. We're not going to suddenly then undermine that or or second guess that and, and give you rights that you could have claimed had you gotten married. Um, so I don't think it's going to be successful. However, it wouldn't hurt to apply. I think, um, all they can say is no, it's not going to hurt anything. So I think if there's maybe some unknown to me interpretation of this, um, that, that it, well, I, I would recommend wholeheartedly that you have him apply and have them, uh, turn it down and maybe even ask for an explanation and get a very specific explanation as to why, uh, he doesn't qualify. In this case, though, I think it might be a moot point. And that's because of what Jim mentioned. Being law enforcement and having a small social security benefit, like you mentioned, but then specifically mentioning mentioning offsets, that means that I interpret that to mean that he's being affected by WEP, the windfall elimination provision, which applies to people's own social security benefits when they have worked in a non-covered job, a non-covered pension job, and and meaning their job had a pension as a replacement to Social Security. We're not going to turn this into a web show or question, but, but there is an offset there that, A, because it's so low, having a career in law enforcement, you would naturally create, if you were participating in Social Security, a much bigger benefit than $500 a month. And the fact that, you know, she mentioned specifically an offset that's my interpretation. So there's going to be a non-covered pension in play here, which is likely to completely eliminate the survivor benefit anyway, even if he were even if they were married. I'm not sure he would get anything on her record. He's instead receiving his pension. So that pension if his pension and I'll do some quick math here, if his pension is a year or more, 
he would not qualify to receive a survivor benefit on her record. So if it was lower than that, then yes, I think he be by not being married, he is being harmed to a certain degree. But I think the harm is likely to be quite low because my guess is if he was career law enforcement and has a pension instead of social security, it's going to be in excess of $43,000 a year. Just I'm, you know, I'm guessing on a few of these things, but I'm trying to make an educated guess based on experience and, and seeing, you know, many of these cases roll through. I'm guessing it's bigger than that. And this is really, if that's the case, then applying at social security is not going to be helpful because regardless of the registered domestic partnership marriage issue, you wouldn't qualify for a survivorship benefit anyway because you've got that pension instead. That pension is bigger. And they're saying that that's your survivorship benefit right there. You're keeping your own very much like if your benefit were bigger than your spouse's, your social security benefit were bigger, you would keep your own. You wouldn't take the spa- the survivorship benefit. Uh, very similar here that the pension is likely big enough to be a better deal to keep than the 2400 um, If you both had social security, you don't get to keep both. You don't get to keep yours and get the survivorship benefit. So this is actually very, you know, very consistent with the way they treat a couple where they both had social security. The survivor keeps the bigger one. In this case, one of you has a pension. One of you has, you know, the the wife had social security. The bigger benefit is going to make it so that you don't get the survivor benefit from the other. That's likely the scenario here. So, um, Interesting question, because it is true when you look up the registered domestic partnership and is it treated as marriage, all the literature from Social Security when you go to their website is referring to same-sex couples in registered domestic partnerships. And that is because they were trying to remedy the fact that they could not get married legally prior to a certain time. So they were trying to fix that as far as treatment of benefits to more align with people who were able to get married heterosexual couples were able to get married. And in this case, sounds like they chose not to for whatever reasons there were. Now I know why Social Security said, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. But they should have said, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll get back to you. That's kind of how it, I hope it worked. I don't know if it did. But again, it it might be a moot point in this case. Mm -hmm. if Exactly. if If the law enforcement pension is big enough, which especially if they were in California. Um, I think a career law enforcement person in California is going to have a pension much bigger than $43,000 a year. Okay. All right. Let's get to some other questions before we wrap up. I want to try to get through Mm -hmm. some of these. So we got, uh, this is the new question of the week that came in. I wanted to address this now because it kind of applies to probably a lot of people listening to us. So he begins, hello, Jim, Chris, and staff. So we'll have to let everybody know that they got a shout out, all our staff. Um, Thank you for the great intel for retirement planning. Much appreciated. Hint. Here's your hint, Chris. I'm from the state that is famous. Oh, okay. I see what he's doing. He's going to list one thing. And if you can't get it after this, he gives you a second hit and you'll definitely nail it on the third. That's better than letting Jim come up with one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, hey, my, it's a Confederate state Mm -hmm. sub hint today was pretty damn good. You still got the wrong Confederate state, but hey. Okay. 
Hint, I'm from the state that is famous for Sanders chocolate. I have no, that, that, that talk about an obscure hint. I'm sure if you're from this state, you're, you're shouting out the answer right now. But Sanders chocolate. Michigan. How the hell did you know that? Did I get it? You Googled it. No, I didn't. I swear. I swear. My mind went to that because I'm, I'm imagining it just seems like an upper Midwest kind of a thing. Like the like we had Sathers. I don't know. Was that what that was? No. We you had, Googled it. There's no, no way Kilwins, you knew Sanders like chocolate Kilwins was and stuff from and that Michigan. All, every time I see one of those stores with the chocolate shop and, and stuff like that, I think of like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan area for some strange reason. Maybe that's the place where I've seen those. I swear I just guessed at that. All right. His second hint was better made potato chips is from this state. No, that, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have helped me. That would have, I would have gone a whole nother direction on that. <laughs> and we're the home state of Kellogg's. And I think everybody would have oh, got it yeah. on Kellogg's. Battle, Battle Creek, Creek Michigan. Yeah, or, Battle Creek, yeah. Michigan. Yep. Okay. So anyways, you were right. Michigan, I didn't think nice. you would get it. Nice. I got to go At try. Least... I got to buy a lottery ticket today. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, or Google lottery ticket. Oh, hit. come on. I swear I didn't look it up. <laughs> All right. My question is around Secure Act 2 and the catch-up contributions to 401ks. Mm. I'm 56 and want to retire at 60. As I understand it, there is an issue with catch-up contributions in regards to Roth mm-hmm. and 401k. Yeah. I just left my company that I worked for where I could contribute all of my $30,000 2023 contribution to a Roth 401k. Let me pause there, folks. He is just saying that between his normal contribution and the over 50 catch-up contribution, he can put $30,000. That's how he came up with it. Mm -hmm. And he can put all of it at his old employer. Mm -hmm. He put it into the Roth 401k option, Mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine. And still perfectly fine. And still perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. I just started with a new company. And they do not have a Roth 401k option. Not yet. Well, hold on. Let me keep reading. I need to wait until December of this year before I can even participate in their 401k due to a 90-day waiting period. Mm -hmm. But since I contribute my max already of $30,000 in 2023, Mm -hmm. I really can't start contributing to this new plan until next January of 2024. True. So far, so good, listeners. He's Mm -hmm. spot on with Everything. Mm-hmm. The $30,000 limit for someone over 50 is it, it walks with you. It's not per employer. You can't work for two companies and put 60000 right. in two different 401ks. So he's correct so far on all of this. But then he asks Will I be able to contribute to the pre tax 401k and include my full catch up in 2024? Let me pause there. So what he's saying is, hey, there's no Roth. Can he put it in a pre-tax 401k, including his catch-up? Yes. There's absolutely no mandate you put it into a Roth option. You are saying, hey, or your employer is saying, hey, we don't have a Roth option. All your contribution has to go uh, into a uh, pre-tax, if you will, a tax-deferred 401k. So that's not going to change for you, listener, under secure. You're still going to be able to do that. 
Then he asks, if my new employer decides to change the plan and include a Roth in the future, will I be able to do the catch-up in 2024? So I'm assuming, Chris, he earns more than $145,000, and he's concerned under Secure, because under Secure 2, allegedly, beginning January of next year, if you earn more than $145,000 adjusted for inflation, and that's in box three of your 10, oh, I always say 1099. What is um, What W-2. did you say? Your W-2. W-2, there you go. That's box three wages in your W-2. If it's greater than 145, under secure it said your catch-up must go into a Roth. And this is what I think this gentleman is concerned about. He's saying, my new company doesn't have a Roth. It's bad enough I can't contribute anything to the Roth. But beginning next year in 2024, where does my catch-up go? Will I be allowed to put it in the regular 401k because there's no Roth option? I'm guessing, folks, he earns more than 145, and he knows he's going to be forced to put his catch-up into a Roth next year. Well, the industry, the um, retirement industry, was screaming and screaming to the government and to the IRS, you can't impose this new requirement that people with earning more than 145 of Box 3 W-2 wages has to put money into a Roth. And they cite it as the reasons, first of all, their computer system can't track this yet. They've got to spend buka bucks redoing their payroll computer system to track it. And second of all, a lot of companies don't have Roth 401ks. Right. And, and you're essentially going to say no catch-up contributions for people making more than 145 And employers threatened that we're going to turn catch-ups off for everyone. If you make this go through. So the IRS <clears throat> recently announced in notice 2023-62 that they are essentially delaying this rule. They're not getting rid of it. But rather than this rule taking effect January 1st of 2024, it will take effect January 1st of 2026. Well, I think so, they're hoping that changes are made to it before they actually have to implement it, And if, if you were to ask me. <laughs> Well, I think employers are not going to wait for hopes that this rule goes away before it even came in. And they are going to begin updating their uh, software because the employer has to track what you earned in box three W-2 wages the year before and then update their system to automatically put your catch-up contributions in the Roth option. Mm -hmm. It's on the employer to figure all this out, not you. And that's what the employer was saying. You didn't give us enough time to, to, to mm-hmm. do this. And the government wasn't thinking straight. Many, many 401ks don't have a Roth option. It makes me scratch my head. Why? Because it's not that hard for them to implement. But I think more than half of 401ks don't have Roth options. Yeah. And the industry was saying, you force us to do this. We're just going to get rid of catch-ups for anybody. So the government blinked. The IRS has given the industry two more years. So listener, you should have no problem. Now, the downside is beginning in January of next year, when you are eligible to begin contributing again, 
all your money is going to have to go into a pre-tax. Your employer doesn't have a Roth option yet. Maybe they're in the process of bringing that on and will have it ready by January for you if you're trying to save uh, money in a Roth. But uh, right now, uh, this is a discussion you need to be having with your employer and say, hey, are you guys going to have a Roth? And when are you going to have this Roth? Because I would like to put my uh, contributions in a Roth. Mm -hmm. But beginning in January, they're going to have to go into the traditional 401k and still do it, even though you must have done some tax planning. And for one reason or another, you want the money in a Roth. I can see that's great. Fine. Don't stop doing it because you don't have the Roth option. You want to get that match. So definitely tie in that match and put the money in the traditional 401k and get that match. And then maybe embark on a conversion strategy. You're going to retire in four more years at, at uh, age 60. What is he now? 56. So yeah, you'll retire at age 60. You're going to have a long delay period between 60 and when you turn on your social security. I would assume it's not going to be at age 62, but you're going to have a long delay period, say to age 70, 10 year tax planning window. And perhaps during that time, you can start converting into a Roth as well. Yeah. And if that's so, what his goal was to get after-tax money created, he just left another job. So that off that those dollars should be available to him to convert. And maybe he could, you know, defer in 2024 in his new employer because they don't have a Roth, but then he could do $30,000 of conversion from his old plan. So, so with some forethought and some tax planning, he could probably end up in about the same place, um, as he was trying to do with his old job at his new job. I agree with that. And you might be able to do the back door, but mm -hmm. you'll have to be careful if you move your previous right. employer's plan into an IRA. Yeah, we don't have enough info to you know give specific, right. but something, you know, food for thought out there, something to maybe look at. Okay. All right. This one's going back to May, but it ties into our recent EDU show. Uh, so I thought this would be a good one for us to share with people. So he begins, hi, Jim and Chris, just wanted to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast since I discovered it six months ago. I, too, listen to it while on my daily <clears throat> one hour walking regime. I'm 61 and have been retired five years. I have a pension, which is one of the reasons I was able to retire so young. It just it amazes me, Chris, to, to pause briefly in his email. People with lifetime guaranteed secure income feel no problem retiring early, as this gentleman did. People who might have amassed dollars fear retirement and spending their money, as we just related with two or three recent articles we read of people sharing. People who have more than enough, I don't want to say more than enough, but ample money to cover nearly any conceivable uh, life event and still live a fine retirement are panicking over retiring and not spending. And it's because of this bottomless cup of coffee, folks, that a pension provides the knowledge that, hey, I got my money this month. If I spend it, who cares? Next month, it just magically reappears. And if I don't spend it, it just keeps building up in my checking account or wherever you're letting it build up. And it never ends. I can spend it to my heart's content. 
That is a beautiful way. And this gentleman said, hey, one of the reasons I could retire so early and feel okay is I have this pension. Where am I going with this? People with assets wish they had a pension. People with assets could create a pension and they refuse to. The very solution to them, a single premium immediate annuity, and I'm not necessarily getting into withdrawal benefit, fixed index, or variable annuities with higher fees. We're not even going down that rabbit hole. But you can create a bottomless cup of coffee. You don't have to retire and panic and not spend any money because you're afraid you might need it. This gentleman isn't. He's happily retired, walking a mile a day, listening to to us ramble on. And it's because he has a bottomless cup of coffee. You can create a bottomless cup of coffee if you want. It's not that difficult to do. Now, we're not going to get into it and how to do it and how we believe in it. But I just wanted to, to share that again. So he continues. As you formulate the rest of it, keep in mind you've got five minutes. Okay. Okay. Before listening to you, I never heard anyone talking about secure income to take care of their basic needs or minimum dignity floor, as you put it. But that's exactly what I did when I set up my retirement plan 10 years ago. I hear you and Chris often say that you would not recommend a 50-something-year-old buy an income annuity. But that is exactly what I did at 51. I wanted to create enough passive income to cover most of my wife and my spending. We spent about 120000 or so a year, and my pension and our Social Security and the annuity that I purchased will provide 110000 a year of guaranteed secure income when we exit our delay period in five more years. This approach really gives me and my wife freedom and peace of mind. I'm curious, why don't you recommend younger people purchase a deferred annuity? Do you want to tackle this one? Yeah, has it worked for him? Yeah, it worked for yeah. him. And I'm, I'm not no... saying I can't see a case where one would do it. Um, the younger you are when you buy the annuity, the more expensive it's going to be, obviously. So um, not a, not too many people. We don't work with a lot of of real young retirees. I'm sure there's out there that have ample resources in their 50s to buy an annuity for themselves. Um, we treat the delay period with uh, kind of a different approach where we like people to hang on to their own dollars uh, for a while and fund directly from their uh, distributions during that delay period until things kind of settle. Because um, a lot can happen to you between 51 and, say, 70 when, when your Social Security might be turning on if you're delaying till 70 or mid-50s. That's a long period of time there. And um, in, some people will reach that point and then regret having gotten an annuity because longevity maybe isn't an issue or maybe one of the spouses uh, is, is unhealthy or, you know, what have you. So there's not, you know, there's no mathematical calculation for the right age to do it. Uh, we just have a preference for doing it, you know, our way. 
Um, but I could see a time where if you, you know, if you felt comfortable doing it and making that commitment to the insurance company here, take this money and, and it's yours, just give me this income and not worried about, um, you know, life events in the early years of retirement changing on you and having you regret that decision, then I see nothing patently wrong with doing it. It just isn't the style of approach that we take. Yeah, the big things that I wanted to comment on, and I know so I'll talk fast on this. Um, I'm under the impression he bought it when he was 51. And I'm under the impression he did it because it gave him peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely positively nothing wrong with peace of mind. We see this a lot with mortgages. We sometimes have people who have more than enough guaranteed secure income to cover a mortgage or more than enough assets to pay off a mortgage easily. And as they enter retirement, they, gee, should I pay this off or not? And in, in the mortgage realm, and I don't want to get too far down it. Everybody says, oh, if the mortgage has just a two or two and a half or 3% interest rate, which you can't get anymore, but you could years ago, you're a fool to pay it off. You're just wasting your money. You should keep your money invested. But the first question Chris and I always ask, will it give you peace of mind? Will you sleep better at night? Then just pay it off. And who cares? And I think that's what this person did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. He crunched the numbers. What picked up at me, Chris, him and his wife spent $120,000 a year. He's from the Bayou State. That was his hint. I didn't mention it. Louisiana. Mm-hmm. He lives in Louisiana. They're spending $120,000 a year. That is their fun and their minimum dignity floor. Mm-hmm. That's what he's spending. He has... In his calculations, in five more years, when he leaves the delay period, which in other words, I'm guessing in five more years, when he's 56, they will be on their full social security strategy. 66, but yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, 66. Mm -hmm. They'll be on their full social security strategy. He has enough money reserved to get him through this period. He Mm -hmm. references it, and I think it ties into the way we do things perfectly. Mm -hmm. But he is saying at that point, he's going to have $110,000. They're only spending $120,000. And this gives him peace of mind. He has annuitized some of his fun spending. Mm -hmm. He has become, almost become, a unicorn. He's a unicorn with a small horn, not a big horn. And a unicorn in our firm is the verbiage we reference someone. If Chris came into my office and said, oh, our our delivery tomorrow is going to be on a unicorn. Let me review it with you. I'll know he's not bringing in a little pink stuffed toy from his daughter's room. He's talking about a person who has enough secure income to cover their minimum dignity floor and fun. Those people do exist, unlike real unicorns. So we call them unicorns. This person has self-created almost a unicorn situation. I think it's fine, even Mm -hmm. though we generally don't recommend annuitizing fun and instead covering fun through the withdrawals from your uh, fun number, the dollars that we identified you can spend on fun. If you feel comfortable 
spending, especially if you have a fund budget that follows more traditional spending. You're not going to spend $120,000 one year and, and $80,000 the next year on fund. It's kind of steady, whatever his fund annual budget is, and you want to spend on fund that way and not say, oh, gee, I'm going to spend a variable amount. Even though we personally don't agree with annuitizing fund, we would never prevent someone who wants that simplicity and that peace of mind. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem with what he's done. So I do disagree a little when you say why we don't recommend it. Um, well, I don't want to disagree with that because we generally don't recommend it. And, and again, it's what Chris said. If you buy an annuity 10 years or so before you think you're going to need it, a lot can change in that 10-year time frame. You have to be comfortable with that. A lot of people we work with don't share this particular listener's comfort level with buying an annuity early. They'd rather buy it later. But we do have a lot of people also who do buy annuities, deferred income annuities early, and just take care of it and not worry. We're not saying that's a wrong approach at all. Actually, right. if you feel comfortable with it, mm -hmm. I love it. I mm -hmm. wish I could be a unicorn. I'll never be a unicorn because I don't have a pension. I got diddly squat social security as I shared on this podcast many times for a variety of reasons. I will have to buy the mother of all annuities in the future. I know I will. And it will be a multi-million dollar annuity. I've already crunched the numbers. But I'm not going to annuitize my fund. I will continue to cover that with withdrawals. But I will buy an income annuity, especially if I stay with Rachel forever and we get committed in the future. Can't say that word. If we get good thing she doesn't listen to this podcast. If um, if we ever commit in the future, she's not the smartest person when it comes to finances, folks. I got to be brutally honest. I'm not going to leave her a pool of money and say, hey, you figure it out. I'm going to leave her a bottomless cup of coffee and an understanding that your minimum dignity for expenses are covered. I took care of them for you. That is going to give me peace of mind as well. Yeah. Anyways, I just I thought this was a good yeah. question. I want to wrap it up. And it just kind of ties in to, to the importance of a lifetime stream of income and not having to worry about investing and withdrawals and safety and all this other BS with retirement, where the anxiety gets to the point that even people with money and can spend it don't because they're just freaking out and they miss out on the remaining go-go years that they have before something happens and it will. And you can no longer do what you always used to do. Your life has changed. You became the other guy. Yeah. Well, I don't have to wrap for today. We really appreciate everybody listening and sending in questions. If you want to send in your own questions, send it to Jim directly. Jim at JimHelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And put in the subject line that is a question for the podcast. And uh, you have a good weekend, Jim, and everyone else will be with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. 
The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 